listening to Charge Tech Podcast, episode 44, the podcast that looks at tech under the hood. I'm your host, Owen, and joining me today is your co-host, John. How are you today, man? Hi, Biscus. Life is good? Mm-hmm. It's beautiful here. It's been raining all week. Like, just, it, it's felt like I've been living in, like, Portland or Seattle all week. It's just been, wow. like, yeah, super, um, super drizzly and misty and gross, but warm. And then today it's just been beautiful. You got you got a heat wave over there. Yeah, it's beautiful here. It's hot. It's thirty degrees. I'm sitting in a room with no aircon because nobody has that here. So. Is it too hot then? Mm-hmm. My limit is like twenty five. I don't know. I could never live in a really hot place. I don't think. Did you ride your bike today? I did. It's too hot. <laughs> Wait, twenty five <laughs> degrees C is is your limit? Oh, it's just, it's like 25C is where you're sitting and it's really hot. And then above oh that, it's goodness. uncomfortable. When, yeah. Where, really? Yeah. It's too hot. I, f- I feel so like sticky. Th- 31 is where it starts to get uncomfortable. Okay. Well, well we can, we can agree that 30 is where it's, it's quite uncomfortable. <laughs> 30 is, it's, it's hot for sure. It's hot. It's going to be hot. Oh, it's been a while. What should we talk about? Uh, well, I think that it's really really hilarious that a currency tied to a mathematical equation is now worth <laughs> like what how much more than gold two thousand dollars a coin or something let's look at what it's worth right now uh bitcoin 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 exchange crypto i don't even know how to actually go look at the bitcoin market two grand surely Oh wow, it's two thousand three hundred dollars. Oh, two thousand four hundred dollars. Yep, it is pricey. It's more expensive than gold, and that's and it's just tied to an equation. It's not actually worth anything. Whoa! It almost for hit, it almost hit three thousand dollars today. And Ethereum is also really high, right? So, okay, I live next door to this guy. I think I've told you this before. I might have talked about it on the podcast. On Slack. Ben's books guy. Yep, yep. He had like a VR lab and then he like, now he's got a bookstore and he's like this old hippie guy and he made shit tons of money uh, because he developed the app Make It Rain. Really? Yeah, so Make It Rain. For your phone. Yeah, Make It Rain is an app where you just like skim money, I guess, into... Yeah, you make it rain with fake money. You know about this game? I think it was just like a stupid app, right? Yeah, so when at its peak, he was making $70,000 a day from it. Whoa! So he's just kind of got cash money. For like like months and months and months straight. Wow. And then he sold it. And he sold it, yeah. Like five, six years ago. So he is just this like weird he's probably like 35 like pretty hippie he he has like a bookstore that's like sells like ayahuasca ceremony books and like buddhism wow. books and like weird uh like the like a, a leonard cohen um you know poem books of poems and just like right. very very eclectic hippie stuff so i'm coming home from work the other day and he's got this bench outside the um front of his store he's like sitting there smoking a J or something and I sit down and I'm like hey dude and he's like hey and him and I always talk about tech because he considers him a tech person because he made an app right right and so he's like oh man what do you think of bitcoin so like I go into my usual oh no whatever rant and he's like buy ethereum and I'm like huh and he's like I promise you if you go home right now and you took five thousand dollars and you bought ethereum with it in two or three days you'll be really really happy at me and i was like (laughs) did you buy did you do that well so i went home to try and do it but i left my debit card at the office so i was like uh whatever i don't really care i I doubt it's gonna go up that much well let's see uh it was (laughs) it was at 80 dollars then what's it and how much is it it's 220 right now ethereum so you didn't buy it i did not why did you do that? No, you should have bought it. Uh, yeah. So on that day, I came into the office. So my COO's um, husband runs a block 
train chain strategy for a massive bank. Right. And she, uh, she's like, She's like, last night, all we did was sit around and dump money into Bitcoin and Ethereum all night. And I was like, okay. She's like, really? Yeah. Her husband. Yeah. They put like almost their whole net worth into Ethereum when it was like $5 or something. Amazing. I know somebody who did that and has a lot of money in it it as well. I have a a lot of friends who have very recently become quite wealthy because of ethereum as long as they actually cash out though right that's the thing no everybody's not cashing out and i don't believe it yeah i would i just if it was me i would be out right now see i really have to understand the thing like i invest in stocks and invest long term on like i like long term investing anyway but i invest long term on stocks because i take a position on how the founders using the business and the company to react to change in the world. I, and so you can research that and think about that. I don't know how to ration, like to reason with Bitcoin. Well, so it's hard to form a philosophy around it. All all it is, is just a medium of exchange, right? Like it's nothing. All it is, is something that lets you store your money as something. There's nothing to it. I read a really fantastic post by uh, Ben Thompson, who does stratechery, I can never say it, about how he thinks it's the next tulip crash, basically because it's all assumed, it's all assumed value, but there's actually no value. It's just something that you exchange money in. That's right. There's no real thing. So it's, it's like you're putting a markup on a dollar. Like, you know, you could like, put a Bitcoin as one Bitcoin to $1, you know, and then just say, okay, it's, it's pegged to the U S dollar and it's, and it's, it's asset back. If you will, it's liquid, like is the U S dollar. Right. right? So you'd be moving from the gold standard to the cash standard to the crypto standard. Fine. And then I would accept that. Right. Because, you know, if banks were like, you know, this, if, if I, if IMF and like big, if, if a shift happened, I would, and it was pegged to something and it was insured. I mean, I think Coinbase is FTC certified or insured, but if it was insured right. and it was one for one, then I could understand it. But it's like you're taking a dollar and putting a digital wrapper around it and marking it up to like $2,000. Like, there, mm. there is, I it's, don't know what you're just storing is backing it. it. Yeah, at this point, <laughs> apart from. But I think the from, biggest problem I see with Bitcoin is that. Well, not just Bitcoin, but Ethereum, Dogecoin, all of these different, this Litecoin as well. You know, like I see it almost the same as the JavaScript problem in a way. Like the, A, there's no barrier to opening your own cryptocurrency. So it seems like each one is a different flavor of the month. Um, and B, that there's no, I don't think there's any trust in it. That's the biggest problem I have with Bitcoin is everybody involved in the chain is really shady. Yeah. I've tried I've tried everything. Coinbase is like the most premium one you can get and even they aren't getting nailing it. It's terrible. I think that there's definitely only going to be two for a while. Like Ethereum makes a lot of sense because it has the digital contract thing, I guess, built in so it can do um self uh reconciliation and stuff like that. Um, and so right. like if you bought a house with it, it would know to automatically like pay everything and split everything properly. And it would be like embedded in the contract of the currency, which is an interesting concept. I don't, I'm not really like financially minded enough to think about how useful <laughs> that actually is, but right. I guess that's an interesting thing sort of, but I still, I think it's just being propped up by volume and that's all it is but there are like a lot of people have real money in this thing like oh yeah but that's always been the case like i think that's the problem with it you know it's gonna be it's a good i bet i almost guarantee the way that this will go down is all the smart people are putting their money in bitcoin right now and the moment like my mom and dad are talking about Bitcoin and start putting their money into Bitcoin, all the smart people are going to take their money out. Like, well, it is theory, going to fall, it's going to fall apart. In theory, if your mom and dad started putting money in Bitcoin, it would just increase the value of Bitcoin and the people who were there in the beginning would be happy because they'd be continuing to make marginal value. But 
Um, They'll probably cash it all out. Well, the smart people wouldn't if if there was. I think that's what we're going to see with Bitcoin. It's too high. Two, three thousand dollars for an intangible coin is weird at best. I think that the like so whenever anyone talks to me about this, like who is a real like fan person, they're always like, oh, well, so many people are benefiting from it and like money's getting moved out of China and like, you know, people are being able to buy crazy stuff and like whatever. Um, and people are just like people in the U S right now are just like cashing out percentages on, on the increases and then not, um, not declaring those earnings with the IRS, even right. though you're sort of supposed to, it's pretty easy. And suddenly you've got half a million dollars out of nowhere. It's easy to like, yeah, kind of not do it. And so, um, and so they're like, so everybody's going to keep using this thing. And I said, but that seems like a prime environment for regulation to be implemented. And if either the IMF or a whole like bunch of central banks or just a whole bunch of banks create their own cryptocurrency and move to that standard that's regulated and acceptable. And then basically like Bitcoin and Ethereum become a black market currency and there's a legitimate currency that will definitely a hundred percent bottom out the, I can't imagine that wouldn't bottom out the currencies. So that would be what I would worry about. Like, I think if I, as soon (laughs) as that part has passed, then cryptocurrencies will become interest more interesting to me. But yeah, but do you think I, it's these it's, cryptocurrencies? No, I just think the tech. I mean, I don't think the technology is even that interesting. I think it's inevitable that we'll. I mean, the the banking system has evolved, right? And so, yeah. it's inevitable that banks look at Vault Vault OS uh, V A U L T. I was speaking to Michael Hart, the CTO of Barclay Bank, about this because right. we were talking about how how banks can move to distributed systems and distributed architectures. And he was like, yeah, we're really bullish on kind of implementing something like Vault OS, which is like basically everything you would need digitally to run a bank today holistically. So like online banking software, contracting, like mortgages, like every aspect of the bank has just been really nicely implemented as software. And so you can just buy this whole package and run it at your bank. And it like is the bank as a as a service. Right. So like when that stuff starts to happen, maybe like maybe whatever that standard and whatever that like line of regulation. Now, if it just becomes that Bitcoin gets switched over to be that, then that would be interesting. But I suspect that out of like, I want to negate the, wealth that has already moved out of different (laughs) countries they would effectively you know force a a wedge between bitcoin and the other cryptocurrencies and a legitimate i think that's one of the other problems with bitcoin too is it has a a bit of a weird pr problem in regards to the fact that nobody really knows where it came from uh not pr but trust yeah i mean it's definitely yeah it just the whole thing is uh, like i remember Bitcoin, when I like, I remember when I first heard about Bitcoin, it was like, I don't know, I want to say like 2000, two years ago, 10? three years ago, no, 2008 or two, maybe 2009. Yeah, like someone on IRC a long, long, long time ago was like, go check out this Bitcoin thing, and you could, much like downloading a SETI at home client, I don't know, yeah, if, if I it, remember, I don't know if this works still, you or could how. mine. You could mine bitcoins really easily, and I mined like right. I would just leave my computer on all the time, and I mined like I don't know, I think like eighty or ninety bitcoin. And dude, did you sell them already? No, they were like, dude, that was like nine years ago. I didn't think bitcoin was going to come anything. I don't know. That laptop's like long gone. Like no, yeah. There's well, no did way. you read the post? A friend of mine wrote a post. Uh, he works at Gizmodo. He threw away a computer hard drive with $4.8 million of Bitcoin on it six months ago <laughs> by accident. <laughs> no. I mean, that's I imagine there's stupid. a lot of Bitcoin that's like that. 
Like it's stuck somewhere, you know? Yeah, like I, I, there must, oh, that's an interesting point. That Bitcoin that's stuck is never going to get sold. Yes. So it's, it'll it's actually, always, it's always going to be less. It'll all, it's always going to be scarcer and scarcer. Yeah, that's true. See, that's where, that's where it's sort of an interesting thing, right? Like if, like, if you presume, if you think that the thing that is going to create instability in the currency is people getting out of the currency, but there is a large swath of the currency that can't be sold, it will right. create an artificial stability in the currency. Sure. It's entirely a possibility. And I believe that, but I just don't believe that Bitcoin isn't just the flavor of the month right now still. I mean, look at the the graph does show that it's definitely not the flavor of the month like this has no, been a long term flavor of the month time coming yeah for sure but i just can't see it being the the one that ends up winning if that I think makes any of, degree of sense so i will admit that part of my skepticism is also a frustration at myself for not just for constant <laughs> for constantly being skeptical of it basically yeah, like, I'm the same. If Definitely. I had have bought like a thousand of these stupid things when they were, you know, ten or twenty dollars, which I could have done. I knew about Bitcoin then. Like I could have just been like, okay, whatever. But this is the thing that I think is the problem with Bitcoin is a lot of the people who got a lot of it in the first place. Yes, they're going to get very rich, but the moment they start dumping the really early people, this the price cannot stay stable those early people have a lot of bitcoin because it was so trivial to mine it yeah so one of my friends had about i think it was like 500 bitcoin or something right and he sold half of it when it got to or over half of it like 80 percent of it actually um wow. when it got to like 30 or dollars or 40 dollars or something wow and he like tells me every day he's like that's my one of my biggest regrets and i'm never wow. selling and he's like i'm never selling the bitcoin i have right now ever like ever and the guy <laughs> and the weird hippie ben next door he said the same thing yeah. he's like i have millions of dollars u.s dollars in bitcoin and i'm not taking it out ever wow and he's like yeah but i, that, I mean yeah ever no i like he had a, at I some point that, you have a number yeah yeah for sure but like he basically said, I understand that if that I have so much Ethereum that if I take it, uh, if I move it or take it out, it'll, it'll tank the, the, um, <laughs> this is exactly what I'm saying though. You know, I think that those early people have so much of it that they can really affect the price. Well, that's no, what they, you saw with they, Bitcoin yeah, that's right. there needs last to be time. A, that they need to hold solid until there's a volume of, Right. A lot keep, of trades. Keep, yeah. It's like, it's like a business, right? You have really big customers and they have to be offset by thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of thousands of, um, small, small customers. Right. If, and then if one of your mm -hmm. big customers leave, leaves, you don't notice that as much because you have little customers filling in. Right. Um, and so it, like if, 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 they just hold if they all just kind of collectively just hold on this thing and more people become interested in it and learn about it and it becomes more mainstream there's a chance it might just like become a thing and also someone told me the other day that um there's like a bunch of like a there's a bunch of startups building mm. like apps that will convert existing systems over to bitcoin systems like uh, like hr and right. pay payroll I yeah guess. there's a lot and also like a marketplace for apps that use bitcoin and then all it's going to take is facebook snapchat twitter and <laughs> imessage to allow you to exchange Bitcoin right. from your Bitcoin wallet and Venmo. That would be dope. Right. Your, in the in-app. And you watch it, watch it just a generation, like watch a shift slowly happen. That like there is also a real yeah, possibility that that could happen too. And yeah, I think it's all down to the PR though of Bitcoin right now. It's well, that's all down the to how somebody thing. spins it. Someone needs to like, that's the thing. It's like, 
it amazes me that there isn't like uh more like these folks aren't getting more organized like if i had yeah like no js is exactly million, the same if i had millions of dollars in bitcoin i would be spending money to pr companies to like and like i would be foster it and putting money into like bitcoin vc firms to start bitcoin startups and right. stuff like i would be really trying to make this thing happen coinbase is the biggest one doing that but it's still not legitimate enough i think like there's nobody explaining what it is and what it does anyway that's enough about bitcoin i think we have to talk about our other favorite topic <laughs> Uh-oh. do you know what it is no you don't know what our favorite topic is uh sometimes it's snap as a chat is a Oh, that's true. But no, it's not Snap as a Chat, is it? It's Uber! <laughs> we should play that every time we talk about Uber from now on. So, Uber thread into fire. So, I've had a really... Guy. I've had a really busy week, so I've not yeah. followed very much news. So, you, I, I kind of heard that, but I didn't know what was going on in that whole thing. So, you remember um, early, like probably a couple of episodes, we talked about how both Waymo, uh, not Waymo, Uber and Anthony had waived, that they had used their Fifth Amendment right to not self-incriminate. Mm-hmm. So now Uber wrote a letter to Anthony. I'm just going to, I'm never going to say his last name, um, saying that he uh, is first to cooperate with the court to return all files and prove that he's returned all the files. And Uber's asked him to waive his Fifth Amendment rights, he asserted earlier in the case, or he will be terminated. Well, makes sense. It's a PR move. Um, I was just thinking about Why that. Why would they stand so strong with him so long? And now, do you think they found more evidence? No, I think that the case has just gotten to a point where it's not obvious how they can win it. And so right. I think at that point, you slowly default to less and less ideal strategies. And so... right. The last last ideal strategy was moving him off all self driving projects and mm-hmm. like not allowing him to communicate with people on it. And then, you know, if they're gonna have to, basically if they're gonna have to go to court, Google uh, Waymo is gonna put a bunch of Uber engineers on the stand who worked with um, him, right? And they're gonna ask them a bunch of very specific questions about Auto's technology and about the things that Anthony said to um, them. Yeah. And how many people at Uber do you think are gonna lie under oath for Uber? Like maybe one yeah. might, but yeah. <laughs> you know, seven are. So not. the most interesting part is about this is they actually um, were ordered by the court to use uh, employment law against him and. They basically gave him a letter saying he had to turn over all of his personal devices or his, his job would be removed. So I guess they're backed into a corner. Yeah, I, I think that they don't they don't have an option to defend anymore because it's impossible. It's so far gone. Like it's impossible that he didn't do something at this point. So like now it's just mitigating risk and mitigating damage. Right, and Which, there was another way, Uber story Uber's this great week. At. Oh yeah, their their whole like their whole strategy is just mitigation, right? Yeah, they go all everything the way they to, do. You're just like how? Yeah, they go all the way to the end, and then they push backwards down as they, you know, see what they can get away with. I mean, they don't do anything so egregious that they. The only thing that they ever do is run the line on how expensive it's going to be to get out of this. They don't like do anything past right. that. Super interesting. So the other thing that they did this week is they, uh, I guess, revealed that they have the they've started charging basically richer people to use more money to use Uber. So they've got the data to determine if you're rich or if you're coming from a rich area or whatever, and they charge you as a user based on your route compared with somebody else who might pay half or you know seventy five percent of the cost, and it's gone crazy. The whole story has just been like. I mean, I can see I can see the argument for both ways. Uber says that it did it to try and help compensate drivers and motivate them to do more, but other people are saying it's like systematic bias, basically, because the system's assuming that you have X money and you might get charged more because it assumes that you have money. Yeah, I, I was at this like fancy transit dinner or um fancy smart cities dinner last night, 
and there was this like right guy there was like a bunch of vcs and a bunch of like city folks and a few technologists and there was this guy who like had just started his vc firm or like had just joined a vc firm as a partner and his investment philosophy was smart cities and he was coming out of like back-end tech like hard hard tech and he was like all excited about the things he was learning and of course it's really interesting for me because a i've been at this like i came out of that world too and knew nothing about cities when i came out but i've been at it for now you know two years basically and i came into it saying okay i know so little about cities and ecosystems and habitats and like what is important to making a successful city. I need to learn that before I do anything else or before I get particularly opinionated on things. So, so like this guy sits down and he starts rabbiting and rabbiting and rabbiting on about how (laughs) Uber is one of the most amazing companies ever. And like, he can't believe he can't, believe how crucified they get in the press and they are such an amazing yeah. public service and stuff like that. And, oh, wow. Okay. And he was like, he was like, and he was like, some, he somehow went down this line of like, basically like free market. It's like the epitome of supply and demand, free markets and cap- capitalism. And therefore it is the most, <laughs> um, it's the most equitable um, system that could ever exist. And I looked at him and I'm like, do you actually believe that? And he's like, yeah. And I'm like, then how could you ever say that privilege, like how does privilege play into that? And he was like, in order for it to be the most equitable thing ever, you would have to fundamentally accept that privilege doesn't exist if the, if you rely entirely on a free market system. Right. Because, and then he was like, well, what do you mean? And I'm like, because there are people who have wheelchairs who can't get in an Uber and need a special assistance like vehicle. There are people who are low income and ha- like, you know, like they're, they're, not everybody can afford surge pricing just because you can. will ignore those people. Oh, I, my head just popped. I'm like, so oh. the, the best quote I have, I saw about this is in the Bloomberg article that broke the news. And it's from a professor in Massachusetts and just oh, at MIT. Sorry. I don't know why they write out the whole thing. Um, and he basically said, like, society is more willing to accept wealthy people paying higher fares, but the biggest repercussion of this nobody is thinking about is lower fares and lower income areas mean it's harder to catch an Uber, there's longer wait times, and they're probably going to ignore that, which is basically what you're saying. Like, it encourages them to focus on the wealthy areas and not so much on everything else. Okay, so LAX has built... You're, like, I will... I'll, this is how uh, I... LAX. I, this is how I think this is acceptable. Or like in a context that is acceptable. Okay. LAX has built a super luxury VIP terminal that like is really, really expensive. Like to land your plane there, it's super expensive. Like, but it's like sick. It's like a hotel terminal. And they even actually have video cameras. This part's like a little... Whoa. egregious but they have video feeds of the cameras in the main terminal of people like real-time feeds of people slogging their way through like customs and security and stuff like that and there's a sign that says like don't you aren't you happy you like are elite now or something like that right what and so well so no way so the reporter who um wrote this piece that i was reading went and talked to them and he talked to the CEO and he basically said, this is disgusting. Like how, how do you yeah, think that it's fair to, to just have this whole terminal that only rich people can use? And he said, this is exactly like what we should do. This terminal um, is a tax on the wealthy. Uh, it costs absolutely nothing to the city to, um, create it adds a new service for a specific demographic and it generates 38 billion dollars a year in tax tax revenue for the city which can Mm -hmm, then mm -hmm. be used to go into approving the other terminal and the other services if that's where the money goes that's awesome no i like that's the right way to think about it right Right, right tax the rich through services that then 
the revenue can go into services that can be provided to low income and middle class to give them upward mobility. Now, here's where it's different from Uber. Uber generates not doesn't help cities. It doesn't work with cities. It doesn't pay its fair share. Like they they specifically don't, you know, like they drive on roads that they don't pay for. And like it just like it. They there is no public good or public service that is happening in Uber. It is simply an a luxury it's a service. It's a company. Yeah, I mean, there's no motivation for them to do anything for those people that you just that you literally just discussed. Like, there's no reason for them to help anybody but themselves. You know who's paying for your Uber rides? Your Uber driver. That's who's yeah, paying the for taxi, your Uber the, ride. the guy in the cab. Who's, who's basically getting gypped because he doesn't or she does not understand what's going on. Like I've, I have switched exclusively to Lyft. Sorry. I'm on quite a really? tirade on it. Yeah. I, no, well, this is well, awesome. After that sexual assault stuff came out and like, that was yeah, the, sure. the final straw for me. I deleted Lyft, uh, Uber off my phone and just went straight to Lyft, but which I can do here because Lyft is, yeah. is equally as, um, I use the local taxi apps now, oh, which awesome. aren't great. But there's some other ones. So I I was just visiting Dublin for a few days, and I use one there called My Taxi. Works great. It's just like Uber, but it's an open source app. That's and awesome. there's another one in Amsterdam called Able. Like there's every city seems to have its own. As long as you look it up, it's yeah, there. So like, I ask the I I this is I love talking to the the taxi drivers about this stuff. It's your thing. Yeah, it really is. And um, I I always open up with do you drive exclusively for Lyft or do you drive for Uber too? And right. it used to be that uh it was like 50-50 and then um Uber usage um started to decline a little bit in New York and Lyft usage started to oh, increase. Right. Yeah, as people like I mean just think New York's super liberal like you know every everyone who you have exactly like zero cost switching right like it's easy just to switch yeah, to Lyft. <laughs> of course and so you read one headline about a shitty ceo and you're like eh, i'll just use the other company then right it's easy to do and so there was a ton of demand picking up on lyft and now i have i haven't been in a lyft where they also run uber in probably two or three weeks and oh wow all the Lyft drivers always go on a huge like f those guys, those guys are crooks, those guys are criminals, blah 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 blah. Wow, tirades. And I'm like, so you like Lyft better? And they're like, yeah, they're like, you know, they take care of us, we get paid properly, blah blah blah. blah. And then I read this other article. Okay, this is my last rant on this, but I read this other <laughs> article um, about this guy in. I actually think it was either Norway or Sweden or the net or like Amsterdam, one of those types of countries. And he was a journalist and he signed up for three of the bike messenger food delivery companies and, um, rode all of them for, I think it was, it was either a week or two weeks, rode for them for oh, a yeah. week or two weeks. Yeah. And it, so it was like Uber eats and then like I read a, this. a local one. And it was in Sweden, one. right? I think it was Sweden, yeah. Um, holy bananas! The Uber's rules basically exist to screw the drivers every time, even on that thing. You almost can't make money on Uber Eats. Well, it seemed like they gamify everything to the point that you can't ever reach the goal to get the money that you need, which was crazy. It was talking about like you got surge pricing and you could you could be guaranteed X earnings in a day, but the 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 terms and conditions made it so egregious to actually pull it off that you never made it and nobody ever makes it because it's just physically impossible so terrible this is a this is a a very scary this this should probably have some regulation around it like the idea that because this is this type of model can become more prevalent in the future as we our services become more on demand and and more metered um that an algorithm could serve up a price based on how much it thinks you would pay for example if uh handy the cleaning service um knew that it was you know um 
some like holiday in your neighborhood that was particularly X, um, you know, whatever cultural association that is associated to that holiday, like everything in your, that neighborhood gets jacked on the price of cleaning services for that, you know, for that day or whatever, you know, like, I think that kind of stuff. I feel like the the law just can't keep up with this stuff. But then I guess like lots of things have seasonal pricing. So I guess it's not that it's not like that unheard of. Right. But mm -hmm. yeah, it just seems a little, I think if it was all of these gig apps are illegal here, by the way. So the way they regulate them is they just say you can use Uber Eats and you can do Uber X, whatever. We don't give a shit, but you have to pay an hourly rate at the very minimum, or a total per day. I think it is, uh, which which has actually worked really well in this market. Um, but it, yeah, I mean it doesn't scale as well, of course, for Uber. Do, do you have um, Lyft in Amsterdam? No Lyft. We mm. only have Uber, sadly. So I had a call with the guy who runs the um, open container uh, thing at the Linux Foundation. He lives in Austin, and Austin banned Uber a long time ago. And then a community, like a few community people got together and built a community version of the app that's basically like peer-to-peer and does like peer-to-peer reconciliation of the um, uh, payments and stuff like that. And they're going to be open sourcing that soon and talking about how they implemented it in their city. So that's pretty cool. But I would actually encourage lots of technologists to think about how you could make, um, like, if you care about, want to, like, do a side project. It's a socially like, conscious version. Yeah, do a side project that, like, isn't going to make you a ton of money or any money but is good. Like it would be really cool if people started going online, figuring out what these like open source taxi apps are like, and then like skinning them for their communities, getting in the app store and then just going on the um, Uber riders or Lyft riders, Facebook groups um, and start telling them about it and also start telling the drivers when you take those services, um, to use it and start telling your friends about it. And if the, if it's truly a peer to peer payment system, very, very quickly, all the cab drivers would switch to it and they would have no problem. So you're saying it should all be Bitcoin. Uh, Oh yeah. (laughs) And they would have no problem burning the other companies down behind because you know, they, they are not, no one's taking that profit for effectively providing what isn't, like when I think about it, a peer-to-peer system can work equally as well as Uber or Lyft, if not better, right? And so, uh, and so, the only other thing that sure, I think you have to consider in that whole marketing. thing is how do you deal with, um, like, I think racism and, like, you know, like how, well, like, that's, yeah. Call, so, all like all you have to do, every city has like a taxi commission or if you live in a big city or a 311 or like municipal services or whatever, all you have to do is pre-build a like call or file button or whatever into the app and say, if you like have to make a complaint, here's the driver, the driver um, ID or whatever. Yeah, but but that assumes that the taxi companies give a shit. And that's the, I think that was the unfortunate reality for a long time. If it's peer to peer, and you're just including the local municipal, like 311, they definitely follow up with like stuff. If, if like, cause I've had so like issues in New York cabs and you just call 311 and tell them the number on the cab and like your issue generally gets resolved quite quickly. And they like give you a case number and you can follow up and they tell you what action they took and stuff like that. So, so like, like, Cities. I think it depends on the market, though. Every market is different, and I think that's why Uber has excelled so well because it just basically like zeroed out the whole thing. Well, but also like they gave us a way to complain, right? Like before, yeah, it's the there barrier, to, the barrier to entry. But the thing is, on this like ideal app, you also should have a very like strict rating system, and you should be able to filter the number of stars what on you're willing both sides to go to. to exactly, yeah. 
rather than getting booted off the platform. Like That's you right. can take the two star guys, but they, I don't know, they earn less. Okay, we have one other thing we have to talk about really quick because we're it's a, it's going to be a long one otherwise. <laughs> well, I'm someone, trying to keep these under you, an hour. Did you see that guy that did the um? So some guy messaged us on Slack. Sorry. I can't remember his name. I'm really bad with names and asked us if he, if it was okay, if he did an episode about our episode on his YouTube channel on the autonomous vehicles. Yeah. And I said it was fine. So he did. Uh, And then he said that his number, he loves the podcast. He went this long thing. Like, this is my favorite podcast. You should listen to it. John and Owen are great, which was really nice. So thank you. And uh, then he said, but I, my only complaint is that they don't talk for long enough and they don't like, I want, I just want to listen to them for hours. Yeah, right. I know. I, I, I agree with people that want it longer, but I also realize that less than an hour is the perfect amount to consume. Uh, like it's, it's. I was going to say snackable. Ugh, that's like the most horrible new media thing. But you know what I mean? Like most people, the average commute is an hour. It's bite-sized. Um, yeah, it's bite-sized. Uh, so I want to talk about one more thing because machine learning is also my favorite topic, which is the nerdiest thing ever to say. But um, SoftBank invested $4 billion in NVIDIA, which is crazy. Machine learning is happening. Yeah. And we didn't talk since Google I.O. Oh, my God. I only put the other news in. Did you see that Google has a custom cloud yes. Tensor processing unit now, which TPUs. means that they have a custom chip for doing neural networks. Okay. I, we were, did you see my weird thing in Slack the other day about all the Apple engineers I found working on vision stuff? Sure. And someone said, and then we had a convert, the conversation that ensued was about kind of, well, yeah, it was because I said that I didn't think that. Um, we would be using laptops. Oh yeah, right. The whole thing started because I said, the reason we're not getting good laptops is because Apple's best teams are working on other things that are not laptops right now. And so, you know, they just have people doing incremental refinements and not, you know, mind bending things because everybody's focused on, on a completely revolutionary and like different thing. Right. And you think about the iPhone, it took them five years to develop and it was a great, you know, device. And, Um, and so, and I also think that they'll phase laptops out and I don't think that they'll sell computers in the sense of like how we think about them in about 20 by 2025, 2027 ish Mm -hmm. timeframe. And, and my proof for that is they have hired like very, very many, like biologists and vision experts and laser people and like hollow people and like tons of them, like tons and tons and tons and tons. And, um, and so I think that there are, I think that there are three paradigm shifts coming quite quickly that people Mm -hmm, are mm -hmm. unprepared for that are real. Um, I think one of them is machine learning and, and artificial intelligence and well, the cloud TPU changes that whole thing. Exactly. I mean, I really overnight, I really think that that and quantum computing and like that collection of things is going to fundamentally alter um, aspects of how we build and how we consume um, technology. And it will have an exponentiality to it um, that will, that will, will push forward areas that, um, that, you don't expect because the mm-hmm, effect mm-hmm. of those actually ha- is a rippling effect on some disparate system somewhere else in like society. And it's of. getting accessible. That's the craziest thing is the, pr- because the price is coming down, you're going to see it moving faster and faster and faster right now. Yeah. And then, and then I think people underestimate what will come of, um, holographic technology. Mm-hmm. And, um, I think, and I think that we'll start to see things like contact lenses that they won't need like batteries or anything like that. They'll just have like a coating or a gas or a filament or some film or something over them. And then you would like be able to hold your Apple watch. Um, and instead of looking at the face of the watch, um, it would project up in front of you seemingly like a um, laser, an, an environment into space sort of in front of your face uh, above your watch or above your iPhone, or they might have a device that um, you would bring, have in the home that could do that. 
Um, and I think there's a very high likelihood that we'll see that within the next seven, seven years. I would say, I would say to a hundred percent certainty. Um, and I think that, and I think that that there's a, there's a paradigm shift there, I think, because the, we will start to discover that the new ways to build software and the new interaction models, and therefore the new ways to learn and the new ways to um, consume uh, information and, uh, and each other and communicate with each other will be so compellingly better and different and more interesting and more satisfying to the human like curiosity and hum- human psyche that I think will will make that shift faster than um, and I think and I think that that powered with that coupled with AI and like potential new um, power sources and potential new uh, processing capabilities will result in very high powered, very small, um, new graphical interface type devices and, and like systems. And I think, yeah, yeah, like that, that definitely, but that's hard to conceive of right now. I don't think if, I mean, maybe lasers and your eyes don't work, but something is going to happen. And I don't know if people can conceive of that right now. Because I mean, it feels to people like screens are going to be forever, right? Oh, it's, yeah. But I mean, dude, I like even like I so Samsung is one of the biggest investors in my company. And like we we share a lot of information back and forth. And I and I have an office in Samsung's like um, future tech like building right. in, in New York. We have a space there. And so do a bunch of other startups that. Um, are doing things that are important to the future success of Samsung. Some of the stuff that is being done in AR and VR is mind boggling. And like, it's five, it's less than five years away from being able to be put into mass production. Right. Yeah. It's, I think all the limitations with that right and now are just wiring batteries, the, the processing units on the devices themselves. They've, they've got to solve all those awkward teething problems. VR is super annoying right now takes a lot of time to set up i'm totally with you on those bo like the the cloud tpu thing is insane the fact that google engineered a whole chip by the way it won't sell it it's only available on the google cloud to use it but uh it it brings a whole crazy new level of i guess processing power to the tp the to the machine learning game because a lot of people are using well you know like i mentioned at the start nvidia chips that's why softbank put all that money in but because Google was making something dedicated, that means they've actually built something that's actually built purpose made for this. And so it's kind of interesting to see that happen. And also that it, it's gated behind Google's cloud as well, uh, which which is kind of a new thing, right? Yeah, I mean, that makes sense. Like, I think that's yeah. the way that you can have people consume your competitive advantage in the future and therefore not become a component of somebody else's supply chain, which you like, that's what kills businesses, right? You look at why why like you know Toshiba and Samsung and like a lot of big companies are struggling right now it's because they've been commoditized so hard because they're simply components of somebody else's supply chain so if you can app or like softwareize your your um hardware competitive advantage and serve it yeah. up as a service you because it means nobody else can touch it either so yeah, they have you... no idea what's going on underneath that's, yeah, can't that's be right. stolen it's did, genius. Did you see um, Mark Zuckerberg's uh, uh, convocation address to Harvard? No, I was on a plane. It, I didn't know he was doing that. It it was really, really so. Wow. I don't know if like I've ever said this. I don't know if you know this, but like, there, I don't. Know, I'm a big Mark Zuckerberg fanboy. Uh, I I like. I don't think he's like a particularly amazing like entrepreneur or businessman or inventor or like anything specific i think he's just but i do think he's genuinely a like really good human i do think that yeah and i think so i think he's got good intent i think he just is on a sole mission of like trying to bring knowledge and connection and like community to the world and I believe that he is sincere in wanting to do that in the most admirable and and beneficial and like equitable way possible. And I've right. always thought that. And his convocation speech, I was bawling. Yeah, it was that good. It 
I mean, it's the same thing I've like ranted on this podcast about before about uh, that people oh, basically have to take now. their take their obligations to society more seriously these days and work and, on like, big, and big work problems. on proper pro- projects. Yeah, and like and like Not and like you know, privilege aside and all of that obvious stuff. You know, people people should be more responsible and take things more seriously. And so, uh, he, he highlighted that really well. And, and, and it was a really good rally, rally cry to, um, you know, a graduating class of, of one of the most premier schools in America to say, yeah. And he finally know, got his degree, which is, yeah, <laughs> he's, he didn't he's, one, he's now Dr. Mark Zuckerberg. That was like the best thing. Yeah. He's like, uh, it's good thing <laughs> I'm doing this convocation speech because it's the only thing I'll actually complete at Harvard. Yeah, but I saw that he. I read. I read the news article. I couldn't load it because I was roaming. But I saw that he basically told people that they should work on the really hard problems, including the things that led to what happened with the election and what's happening in the world. Like that's it's pretty inspiring. And I mean that's definitely Facebook's position has been how can we make the world see each other equally. But I I, I admire that. Well, everyone should watch it, and uh, I will link to it in the show notes and reflect upon it because yeah. Well, let's talk about it in the Slack. I'm keen to hear what other people think. Oh, I'm going to watch way, it right now. Thank you so much for everyone who sent all the hibiscuses. That was it was amazing. Amazing. Also, you should check the podcast reviews. Yeah, it's I saw a thing. That. It's it's so awesome. It literally looks like we bought a bot spam script or something that only sends hibiscus emojis. Oh my goodness. <laughs> okay. Also, it, it made my, my day. You can feel mm-hmm. you can feel free to email us pictures of any hibiscus related things <laughs> that you see in the world because if you're not in the slack like in the slack people often take pictures of oh, their man. like hibiscus I, gummy I bears read the best review this, the latest review says best source for the accurate weather information if you live in new york city or amsterdam <laughs> that's the review <laughs> oh thank you so much <laughs> that's amazing I, but no, it's so good because it's a thing. So if you, and I always ask this every week, but if you are going to review us, please go on iTunes and leave a hibiscus because it is awesome that there's a thing going on there. And also you can email us. I, we haven't had any emails lately. So please email us on Hyatt Charge Podcast and John and I will reply to you if you yeah. have any thoughts. And we often talk about it on the podcast. You don't have to be in the Slack. Like we also email. So please do that. Otherwise the show notes are at chargepodcast.com. I think that's it. Good one. Hibiscus. Hibiscus. Or actually, it's <laughs> hibiscus. Bibiscus. Bibiscus. Oh, I like that. Is hibiscus, there like a blue one? Hibiscus and bibiscus. I like that. All right, John. Until next week. Bibiscus, Owen. Go buy some Ethereum. <laughs>